name of my sermon is, Which One Are You? And that's a very a simple yet provocative question to ask. Because what I'm going to put before you is that there are only two groups in this world. There are only two religions. Now we know that Islam and Judaism and Hinduism and Catholicism and Mormonism and many isms and schisms exist. And yet, I will continue to say and prove to you that there are only two religions. And what are those? Those are the religions of works. What Paul said in Romans uh, chapter 10, that they sought to be justified by the law. That's every other religion. Seeking to earn righteousness, seeking to obey in a way that pleases God. And then there is the truth. There is Christianity that says you can never be good enough because God is perfect. He is holy, holy, holy. He dwells in unapproachable light. He is a consuming fire and we are sinful. And the only way that sinners can have peace with God is if he comes to us. And that's what he did in the person of Jesus Christ. So the question is, which group are you in? Are you in the group that seeks to earn salvation by your works, even though you go to church? Or are you one of those, one of us, that clings to the cross of Christ as your only anchor and your only hope? Jesus talked about these two groups, Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, he is with his uh, disciples and he's about to tell them about the end of the world. And he begins in chapter 25 with these virgins. You know the account. Group of virgins, some had what? Oil and some did not, two groups. He goes on and talks about talents that are given out. And then there is a day of reckoning, a day of accounting. And you have a group that has fruit. And then there's one who has none. And he finishes with this final judgment. And y'all know it, right? The final judgment where he says, I was sick, I was naked, I was in prison, and you ministered to me. And what did they say? When? When do we see you naked or sick or in need and minister to you? He said, whenever you did to the least of these, my brethren, you did to who? To me. And then he said to the others on his left, you did not. Once again, what do we see here? Two groups. Two groups. The question in the back of your mind in the forefront is, which one are you? In Matthew 7, Jesus talked about there being only two paths. You remember this? Matthew 7, this is the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is laying out for us the impossibility of living up to the holy standard that he lays out when he says things like, 
you therefore must be perfect as a heavenly father is perfect. Like that's a standard that should make us all say, have mercy upon us, which is the point of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, at the end of this sermon, brings forth some terrifying examples and illustrations. And in Matthew seven thirteen, he says that there are only two paths, two roads. Enter by the narrow gate. So there's a narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Oh, so there's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate. And those who enter by it are many. That's a terrifying thing to hear. Why did Jesus tell us about the number of people on this path? He tells us not only the number of people, he tells us the kind of path. He says that it's easy, that it's wide, that it's populated, and there are many people on it. And he even tells us where it's headed. Where is it going? What does he say? It's leading to what? Destruction. But then there's another road. There's another path, which is narrow. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. He lays it out for us. There's only two paths. There's only two groups. There's only two religions. Which one are you in? This is an abundantly important question. This is the question of questions. Did you know that there are only two families? 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. 1 John. I am not with this technology. I'm going back to my paper Bible. Word up. Uh, 1 John 3, 10. By this it is evident... Who are the children of who? God. So we have one family. But that's not where it stops. And, what does it say? Who are the children of who? Two families. Right? Two families. By this, it's evident. It's clear. It's obvious. This is easy to spot. Children, sometimes you will be given these little um, papers and it says, like, what's missing, right? What doesn't belong here? And you're, oh, that doesn't belong here. It's obvious. It's evident. And what John is saying here, what the Spirit of God is saying through John, rather, is that it's obvious which family you're in. But make it clear there's only two. Do you know which family you're in? Do you know who your father is? That's my son. He looks like me. I have four sons and two daughters. Yeah, count it up. That's right, six. Yeah. Amen. I love my babies. They look like me. There's a similarity in appearance to your father. Who's your father? There's only two foundations. We sang about this, the foundation. Matthew 7, 24. Jesus ends that Sermon on the Mount. There's two paths. 
There's two trees, right? One has fruit. The other one is prickly and has thorns and thistles. And then he talks about that there's two professions, two groups, people, Lord, Lord. One has fruit and obedience. One is not. And then he talks about there's two houses. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. That's one house. What is that rock? Jesus. Jesus is that rock. Well, in what way? Right? Because there's another house, everyone who hears these words of mine. Notice, it's not one group hears the words and the other group is in the club. That's not what it says. No. They both heard the word. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And notice, the same thing comes. The rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew, beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. These words of mine. The reason why that's important to understand the context, because you got to say, well, what were the words of his? The Sermon on the Mount, he's pointing to himself. As your only source of salvation and hope. You remember how the Sermon on the Mount began? The Beatitudes. Who remembers them? Sunday school B. Blessed are the... Say again? It don't have to be in order. Blessed are the... I heard a bunch of stuff. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for... For they shall be... Yeah, their thirst will be quenched. Now you think about that. What would make someone hunger and thirst for righteousness? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourn? What are you mourning about? Your sin. You're mourning about your sin because you see him. The first request in the Lord's Prayer, which is in the Sermon on the Mount, by the way, is what? Hallowed be your name. Make your name holy to me because I don't see you as I should. See, we come into this world, y'all. We come into this world as sinners, which we're going to look at in Ephesians 2 momentarily. We come into this world as sinners, and the problem is the thing that makes sin so sinful is that we do not behold our God as he is. You want to know how you can tell we don't behold our God as he is? Check this out. Where is God? Everywhere, right? Do you live as though God is everywhere? What does the psalmist say? Where can I, from your, if I ascend into, behold, you're there. If I make my depths into, you're there. Where can I flee from your spirit? Before a word is on my tongue, you know it. Do we live like, we believe that? You ever try to hide something from the omnipresent God 
You ever try to close a door and turn off a light? He says, behold, the dark is not dark to you. But this is my point. We don't see him as he is. And that causes us to behave in a way that doesn't honor him. And that's a problem. Because he really is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the mighty God. He really is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He really is. I, I love this. Know before whom you have come. We're talking about the Holy Holy, holy king of kings, the creator of all things. He made everything with a word. And he doesn't have a mouth. Explain that. God is great. And we come into this world and we don't see him as he is. We don't see him as he should be seen. And we don't respond to him as he deserves to be responded to. This is sin. Because what is the greatest commandment? They asked Jesus that, right? What is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with what? All your heart. Do you? Have you ever loved God with all your heart? All your soul. All your mind, all your strength. The one who keeps your heart beating, the one who has seen everything you've done and has continued to have mercy upon you, even to this very moment, keeping your breath in and out. And you know what? We don't even thank him for the breath he gives us. He keeps giving it. We should be responding to him in gratitude and obedience and awe and wonder and joy and faith. But the truth of the matter is we don't. And that's a problem. And that's why when Jesus said, I'm going to teach you how to pray, here's the first thing you pray for. Hallowed be your name. There's a, there's a, 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 hol- a holiday coming up where <laughs> people dress up. What's it called? Halloween. Hallow. Hallowed be your name. It means holy. Make your name holy. Because we don't see you as we should. So when we come into this world as sinful as we are and we don't see him as we deserve, as he deserves to be seen, then what we do is we make ourselves God. We make ourselves the Lord. As Paul said, their God is their belly. And when we become our own God and we set the rules I like this religion because it offers me this. I like this lifestyle because it offers me that. I'm, I'm not religious. I'm more spiritual. Okay? You set the rules. You set the parameters. You set the outcome. You're a God, and you've created your own world, your own universe, your own heaven, your own hell, your own law, your own system of righteousness. And Jesus says, that's that other group. 
That's sand. And on the day of judgment, it's not going to hold up. Then there's the rock that sees him as he is and sees yourself as you are. And when you behold him as the perfect, spotless, holy, holy, holy. Y'all know why it's repeated? I'm going to assume you do, but I'm going to tell you anyway because it's amazing. The reason why in Isaiah 6, the, 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 the cherubim and the seraphim in Revelation call out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. The reason why they do that is because the Bible uses repetition to put forth emphasis, right? We do that. We put stuff in all caps. If you're texting, my mother puts everything in caps. I'm like, why are you yelling at me? No, that's just emphasis, right? Um, exclamation points, bold. That's what we do. What did the Bible do? It, put, it makes repetition. And when it talks about God, there is no attribute of God that's ever raised to the third power but holiness. The Bible never says he's love, 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 or wrath, 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 or justice, justice, justice. The Bible only says that he's holy, holy, holy. He's different. And this is what is naturally coming out of these creatures that were created to dwell in his immediate presence. And you know what it says in Isaiah 6? It says that with two wings, they cover their face. That's crazy. Fish were made to be in the water, so they have gills. Birds were made to be in the air, so they have feathers and wings. These creatures were made to be in the presence of God and they were, they were created with wings to cover their face because he's that holy. And when you get it through our, when we get it through our minds that he's that holy and we're this sinful, then we would never attempt to build a, a house on sand of our own righteousness because we would understand and you would get it. You could never measure up. Because the two problems that we have as human beings is God's perfect. And there's a punishment for not being. Which leads us to Ephesians 2. And then I'll end with, with, with my story. So, uh, I was born and raised as a Muslim. God rescued me out of that. Zeke. Uh, and I are, are dear brothers and friends, and he wanted me to share some of my story with you um, amongst the backdrop of this reality of these two religions, two worlds, two outcomes. Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now I ask you this. What's worse than dead? I mean, my, my grandparents on my father's side, they were both born blind. But Ray Charles had a fantastic life. <laughs> Even though you're blind doesn't mean you have to have a miserable life. You can be deaf, but how many great musicians have created great music though they couldn't hear it themselves? You could be lame and in a wheelchair, but that has not stopped many people from having wonderful, successful lives. But when you're on your deathbed, Hope remains until the flat line begins. Death is hopeless. It says that you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Meaning that when we're dead 
in sin, we are dead to God, that there is no affection. Have you ever heard someone say, you are dead to me? What does that mean? You don't stir my heart up anymore. Your words mean nothing. Your presence means nothing. I could walk by you and I would not spit on you to put you out if you were burning. You're dead to me. That is what it means for us to be dead in sin, to be dead to God. God meant nothing to us. We walked through our lives, and he was, a, he was something on the wall. He was something useful. Take down like Christmas decorations when you need them. Oh, I have a test. I'm going to pray. I hope she's not pregnant. I'm going to pray. Please don't let him pull me over. I'm going to pray. If, I, if you get me out of this trouble, I'm going to obey you. And as soon as you do, I'm back to my regular life. That's how many people have treated God. That's how we treated God. And then we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. And we were following the course of this world. The world is going. A river, a lazy river. You get in the little inner tube and you just float, right? You ever see somebody going up river? Wouldn't that be strange? Yeah, no, because you go with the flow. And this is saying that that's what we all did. We went with the flow of a God-hating, sin-loving world. And that's bad enough, but it doesn't stop there. Not only were we dead, not only we walked in the course of this world, but we followed the prince of the power of air. You know what? A lot of people have opinions about Halloween. I'm not going to get into that. That's not what I'm here for. But what I'm going to say is this. A lot of talk about devil worship. Black Sabbath and black clothes and black this. But this says we were all worshiping the devil. We were all following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This is how sinful you were if you were a Christian, if you are a Christian. And if you're not, this is what you are right now. This is the world you are currently in. among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We did this with our bodies. We carried out these desires with our minds. You imagine if you bought a gift for someone, and then they used that gift to hurt you. You buy someone a car, and they run over your family with it. God gave us gifts, eyes. And what have we used our eyes to do? A mind. And you think of the thoughts that you wouldn't want your best friend to know that have run through your mind. We have used the very gifts that God has given to us. Time, life, relationships, family. And we've used them as weapons against the king of kings. And we're by nature children of wrath. It's just what we are. It's what we deserve. If you walked into your house today and you saw a roach, a cockroach on the counter, would any of you have mercy on that cockroach? Would any of you say, you know what? You've had a rough life. I'm a forgiving tenant. You're free to go. No, you would crush that thing as soon as possible and remove any evidence that it existed, wouldn't you? And yet that cockroach has not sinned 
once against God. It has done exactly what it's supposed to do in all this filthiness. You and I, on the other hand, have sinned against God constantly with every source and resource that he's given to us. And yet he's had mercy, mercy, mercy day after day. Patience, patience, patience. Though we demand that he crushes us, he's had Mercy. We were by nature children of wrath, deserving to be crushed. And then we get this amazing news, y'all. But God. This changes everything. But God being rich in mercy. How much mercy? How valuable? How, how rich and wealthy does he have to be in mercy to forgive you of one year of sinning? How many sins did Adam commit in order to get kicked out of the garden? One. How many sins does it take to condemn you to an eternity in hell? One. Start calculating your week, your year, your life. How rich is his mercy to forgive you of everything you've ever done and not just you but you and you and everyone who believes upon the son of God this is richness mercy why why is he so merciful why is he so forgiving why is he so compassionate this is critical to this world which one are you in why is he kind to you why will he let you in The day of judgment is today. Let's say it's all over. And now you stand before the judge, the king of kings, and he's looking at you with his eyes that see everything. You know how it says it's just full of eyes. That's the symbolic language saying he sees it all. Everything he sees. And there you are after the night you had last night. Why should I let you in? What are you going to say? I've been trying real hard. And yesterday I was in my body. And I know I messed up. But, but I went to church. And, and there's this men's group. And I was, I, I was scheduled to go. I stopped doing this. And I stopped doing that. I cast out demons in your name. I've done many mighty works in your name. Are you relying on your obedience for eternal life? Do you think your salvation depends on how well you line up to the Ten Commandments? Are you still trying to earn God's smile? This says, but God being rich in mercy because Of the great love with which he loved us. Why does God love us? Why? You know what he told the Israelites? He said, I have loved you with this great love. But not because you're greater than the others. Because you're smaller than the rest. He said, I have loved you with this great love because I loved you. See, God is love. His reason for loving you is within himself. And you know why that's good news? Because he doesn't change. You do. You have good days. You have bad days. 
And if your in and out is dependent on you, then you're constantly being tossed to and fro. You have no assurance. You're constantly in fear. And if you're clinging to your own works, you have no hope of eternal life. The good news is right here. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. This is resurrection. This is supernatural power. This is the Holy Spirit doing something in you and me that could never be done by your own efforts. You could go to a church for a thousand years. You could have Jesus as your pastor. Judas did. And it means nothing. You could have perfect doctrine. Lucifer did. You could worship and have the amazing worship that the the fallen angels did. It means nothing unless God does a supernatural work in your heart. That's salvation. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Grace. Grace is what you don't deserve. Grace is him giving you something that is totally out of your participation. You did nothing to earn it. It's a free gift. Grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You go from being an enemy of God, you go from being a child of the devil, to being a worker of lawlessness, to being someone who, Paul says in Romans 2, haters of God, Romans 1 actually, haters of God. You go from that to not just being forgiven, not just being tolerated, You go from being an enemy to being a child of God, seated with Christ in heavenly places, even when you have rebelled against him so much. And why is that? So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I was born and raised as a Sunni Muslim. We were very strict and very devout, and I was taught that if I tried hard enough and I obeyed these pillars of Islam closely enough and I did my best, then hopefully on the day of judgment, God might be merciful. There's no guarantee. Well, fast forward, now I'm going to church. And I heard that if you say this prayer and believe and repeat, and you're saved. And I did that. But I still had hatred in my heart for what a family member did to me. I still had lust in my body and I wanted to get it out in high school. 
I had no affection or love for Jesus Christ. I wasn't into his word. I was trying. I was gritting my teeth and clenching my fists and doing as much as I could. I was going to every meeting, but nothing was changing. And I sat in circles just like this. I served on the youth. I taught and I did Christian rap and all that, and I was not a Christian. I had no salvation because inwardly, inwardly nothing was different. I tried and I tried and I tried and I had nothing that was different until the day that I heard the news that God is holy and I am sinful and I deserve to be crushed for what I've done. And nothing I do can earn his favor. And nothing I do can take away the wrath that I have coming. And so God in his mercy sent his own son in my place to obey for me and suffer the wrath that I earned. And he died a real death. Naked, exposed, and shamefully treated. In three days in the grave. And he rose. And I was told that if I believed in him and what he did, the wrath that I had coming would never fall upon me. The wrath that I had earned would never come upon me because he drank that cup perfectly. And the righteousness that I need to be accepted by him was already earned for me. And what I need to do is what y'all are doing right now. Trust. Like you're trusting in those chairs to hold you up.